And with me this morning is Dr. Rajbans, President of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Good morning, Dr. Rajbans. Good morning. Okay, with the health ban and all, it's great to know uh, we have more information, but this information is pretty alarming. Babies and young children are highly exposed to secondhand smoke. In a test that they did, which included more than 1,200 children, researchers found that up to 15% of them had levels of cotinine, a byproduct of the body's breakdown of nicotine, which is comparable with what would be found in an adult smoker. So, uh, Dr. Rajbans, I mean, this is truly alarming. And how does this affect the development of the child? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, the study has come out uh, at a time right now when, you know, our government is looking at banning smoking in public places. But this is what we were worried about all along. You know, that second-hand and third-hand smoking are just as bad or even worse than, uh, you know, someone who is smoking because the chemicals that come out of that smoke that you exhale, they found it's got almost few thousand chemicals more than what you inhale actually mm-hmm. and these chemicals are very carcinogenic now can you imagine a child at that age you're talking of a babies yeah. you know who already have high cotinine levels which that means saying that you are as if the baby itself is smoking you know and yeah. that's more of a nicotine that a uh, child has got in now apart from this you know the local exposures you know irritation to the eyes the sinuses you know getting local problems but can you imagine a child that is genetically predisposed you know the chances of that child getting a lung problem or getting asthmatic or getting even a cancer mm-hmm. uh, or a heart problem much earlier in life is definitely there no one will think of this you know that you know if someone has got cancer or got heart disease later in age between 20s and 30s that is actually because of a uh, cigarette smoking uh, that was uh, that he was exposed to so I think it's really really important studies like this come out to let people know that you know it's okay for smokers to smoke because it's I mean they, they want to smoke but it's the people they're exposing to you know the children running around in that you know the eating places and the babies that are sitting there yeah. when someone next to them is smoking it does as- affect them right so uh, can you actually s- um, develop lung cancer as a young child if you are exposed to secondhand smoke it uh, is possible it's possible I'm not sure whether there's any studies done on that but we know the children are also getting cancers now and of course we'll just say it's part of the you know genetic predisposition but what actually triggers it off and I think it's all this exposure to chemicals from our foods our environment and cigarette smoke all right well we are with dr rajbans president of the malaysian wellness society this morning on healthwise coming up cheese let's talk about cheese um it is nutrient dense and tasty but is it truly healthy for us we'll find out with dr rajbans after mark anthony you sang to me on light with me this morning is Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, do you like cheese, Dr. Rajbans? Yeah, I do actually. You know? <laughs> I love uh, cheese. Uh, yeah, I know. Butter and cheese are something that, you know, I think you always grew up with. And uh, when I was in UK working there, it's part of, uh, you know, your breakfast, you know, exactly. having butter and cheese, you know, with the, all, all the other things. Yes, well, we know cheese is nutrient rich and very tasty. And it includes um, calcium and protein along with uh, B, vitamins and zinc. Um, it, but it is quite uh, heavy in calories and uh, I guess the question is is cheese truly healthy because I know a lot of people also feel that it causes constipation and various other digestive issues yeah I think it's again the moderation and how much you take if you're looking at taking cheese you know like for breakfast and lunch and dinner then you're actually going to be in trouble because like you said though it's has got some good uh, vitamins there proteins but it is calorie dense so your mm-hmm. calories mm-hmm. will go up and uh, I think cheese is something that you just take as part of your meal you know there's some strategy 
melted cheese on your on right. your salad. Right, there's or, melted cheese yes, uh, melted in your cheese. sandwich. Or, or maybe just take a slice of cheese with your breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I do it maybe twice a week, you know, as part of my, you know, some variety that I want. Uh, but it's not something that I take uh, very often a lot. I, I love cheese, so mm-hmm. I know if I'm not careful, I can take a lot. So, so what, what are the pros and cons of eating cheese? Yeah, so I think the main thing is uh, if you're taking it uh, as part of just, uh, you know, your, you know, your, like your breakfast or just uh, some on your salads, then you're not going to do any harm anyway. It's got good vitamins, but mm-hmm. sometimes people, you know, decide they, because they like it a lot, they take a lot of cheese and that's definitely very dense. Now, the other thing you worry is about dairy products, whether dairy products are actually healthy. Now, if you look at the Mediterranean, which is uh, one of those blue zones, mm-hmm. they actually do have cheese in their diet because, you know, the, right. the Europeans do like cheese. But again, it's just part of the, the whole variety of foods yeah. they have. So, I think anything in moderation, in balance, shouldn't be a problem. Okay. The worry is that sometimes dairy products have today because of the, you know, they say that hormones are injected, antibiotics are given and that's probably more of an issue than the dairy product itself. So, I think cheese in moderation, no harm, but don't go overboard. Yeah, and I know a lot of Malaysians, uh, you know, if you look at all the food blogs out there, these days you can even get cheese on nasi lemak so yeah. <laughs> everything you got you know teach yeah. and I cheese and uh, yeah, 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 everything. <laughs> yeah so they can go overboard if you're ca- not All careful right. well when we come back uh, with Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society we're going to take a look at this uh, latest technology a breath test that can detect multiple cancers early on it will begin a large trial we'll find out more right after the traffic update and take that on light with me this morning on HealthWise is Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, a breath test to detect multiple cancers early begins large trial. It's a breathalyzer and it is being tested in the UK. Several illnesses are known to create signature smells from the body, including typhoid fever and uh, is reported to smell like baked bread. And the aroma of acetone is said to be similar to rotten animals on the breath of diabetics. So they have uh, come up with this test. I guess, you know, this is interesting. How does a simple test tell you about cancer and where it is? Yeah, I think uh, it's like, uh, you know, they say these cancers might release certain uh, volatile organic compounds that are like a chemical signature. Mm-hmm. Like you just say typhoid, they got a certain sort of smell and same with, you know, other diseases. So if they can actually get, uh, measure this uh, through a breath, this uh, this uh, VOCs they call it. Then probably they can actually look and say that okay, this this sort of uh, VOCs actually cause like prostate cancer or kidney cancer or pancreas cancer. Or so it can cancer. actually determine what yeah, kind of cancer yeah, it is as well. Probably can because they know what is the signature for which uh, cancers. So and this will be something fantastic. I mean, it's still in trial yet, but right now our blood tests are not very specific. You know, you can have a normal blood test uh, for let's say a cancer, and you mm-hmm. still can have the cancer. So very difficult. Uh, so a genetic test that come up with you know some are of course very specific but a lot of them can be just you know just give you a risk about 20% 30% but what we worry is that cancer is always detected late you know yes. more time people detect late so can you imagine just coming for a test once every year once in six months and just breathing into something and then they say okay you're free from cancer right. because this will detect very early cancers and this is something very exciting yes definitely you, yeah it, so it, if you pick up you can pick up very early okay so it's not um, available yet yes yes I think it's trial and probably still mm. Go through that phase one, phase two, phase three before they actually launch it. But it's a good way, I think. Hopefully, in the next few years, you know, you'll be able to do a simple test, which will probably cost even less. I hope. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you can get early detection. All right. Well, this is definitely wonderful. I know I've read various studies on how certain animals, dogs specifically, are able to detect cancers in humans, yeah. and I think it's the same, it's isn't probably, it? Probably that's what they, the you know, they smell that you know that chemical signature. All right.
right. Wonderful. Well, when we come back, um, here's something you probably didn't know this, but heavy snorers have doubled in numbers over the past 20 years. We'll find out what that's all about with Dr. Rajvans. That's after the sports update and Michael Buble next on Light. And on HealthWise's morning, as usual, we have Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, a peaceful night's sleep is becoming rarer after scientists have discovered that heavy snores have almost doubled in number over the past 20 years. This is, according to experts at London's Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospitals, the, I guess it has to do with obesity rates and smartphone usage. Uh, I don't know the correlation with that, but yeah, I mean, uh, what's this all about, Dr. Rajbans? I mean, it's interesting that, uh, you know, snorers are going up, but it's the obesity rates are going up, you know, so mm. people are, more people are putting on weight, more chance of getting your sleep apnea problems, and that's part of snoring. But the smartphones, you know, they also attributed smartphones to causing this increase in snoring. And what they probably say is that uh, it's because, you know, when you, know, you use a lot of these smart gadgets before you sleep, you probably don't have a good night's sleep, right. and that could probably affect your sleep, and then that could affect your snoring. So it's very interesting that two simple things, lose mm-hmm. weight, and <laughs> off your smart gadgets yeah. one hour before you go to sleep would be actually the ideal thing to do. Okay. That's all. With regards to obesity, how does this trigger heavy snoring? I mean, physiologically. Yeah, it's just because you increase your weight even around your you know, your neck, neck muscles and all that. And that actually impedes you. Especially when you sleep in the wrong position, can actually impede your, mm. uh, your breathing. And that will cause the snoring. All right. And uh, the dangers of sleep apnea in everyday life? Oh, yeah. I think from uh, you know do- daytime drowsiness to hypertension to even heart attacks. You know, So it's not something that is benign. So you have to, you know, make sure that you get it treated. Uh, so they'll do a sleep test. And uh, if you have sleep apnea, then, you know, they put you on those machines, mm-hmm. uh, which actually help a lot. A lot of my patients have been on these machines actually sleep better. You know, morning they don't have a daytime sleepiness. They are more energetic. They lose weight, actually. Oh, wonderful. And uh, these machines, are they available? I mean, you can bring them home? Or yeah, yeah. You actually use it. You use every night. A lot wow. of the patients use every night. So the simple test, actually, they come to your home to do the test. It costs a few hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Machines are more expensive. It's between 5 to 6K, I think. But uh, it's something they can use for a long time. So it's yeah. worth it. Well, I guess what is even more worth it is if you take the effort and the steps to lose the weight, yeah? Yeah, and stop <laughs> the smart gadgets, you know, at night. All right. <laughs> Right, wonderful. Great advice there. Uh, coming up, uh, speaking of gadgets, apparently there is little evidence that screen use for children is harmful in itself. We'll find out what that's all about with Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. After Belinda Carlisle, also Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, next on Light. With me this morning on HealthWise is Dr. Rajbans, president of the Malaysian Wellness Society. Now, in BBC News, apparently you can worry less about your children's screen usage because there is little evidence that screen use for children is harmful in itself. Experts do say that it is, though, important that the use of devices does not replace sleep, exercising, and time with the family. So, Dr. Rajbans, how does constant screen use affect the development of a young child? According to the Pediatric Association in a UK that you know it doesn't really matter but this where they themselves have said you know uh, today children are getting addicted to all this screen and uh, you know, all these uh, gadgets and uh, so less exercise definitely is there mm-hmm. a lot of people a lot of kids today just sit down they hardly do they any don't exercise. get any vitamin D yeah, <laughs> they, right, don't they, hardly out, yeah, they don't go at all and then of course I think the other worry is asleep you know it's uh, I find even my kids sometimes now they're much older but I can't say anything now but mm-hmm. you know sometimes they're up at night watching movies or whatever they're doing 
and uh, <laughs> then in the daytime they all looking so sleepy and tired you know mm-hmm. so that's the other thing and again vision you know i find when more kids at young age are already using uh, spectacles. spectacles both you know i don't wear spectacles yet my wife got it when she, when she's much older mm-hmm. but both my children have oh. you know do you attribute that to screen uh, usage i don't though? know i don't know because yeah. uh, my my parents never use uh, glasses right till they were quite old oh. that's just you know for reading and neither did my brother sisters me but our kids have all started using uh, you know glasses mm-hmm. so whether it's part of this whole the gadgets and everything that they're using mm-hmm. so i think it's important that everything should be again in balance in moderation especially for young kids i think yeah. parents have to be a bit more careful once they're older you know you can't mm-hmm. uh, say much they start using it but you know someone who is few two three four i see young young kids today Very holding young. phones and you know it's like a babysitter now for their parents you exactly. know exactly so i think they have to be a bit careful with that yeah i think also you know parents need to kind of help their children develop other things like motor skills you know that's right how to that's catch right. a ball how to you know use a pencil or crayons and yeah, things like yeah, that yeah things like that you know reading learning to you know mm-hmm. to go into books more than you know just a lot of screen screen things so yeah i think they have to do that all right wonderful well thank you so much uh, dr rajbans for joining us this morning thank you dr rajbans is president of the malaysian wellness society on healthwise